Well, good morning to you. Are you all doing well? Okay, well, I asked that question because nobody likes being sick, right? Does anybody just enjoy getting downright bad sick? You know, okay. I was watching a little bit of the ball game last night, and there was a guy from Purdue. If any of you watched the Purdue-Ohio State game last night, and he evidently was undergoing chemotherapy, and his goal was to be at that ball game. And he said, they interviewed him at one point, and he said, you know, 24 hours ago, you wouldn't want it to have been with me. And then he started talking about all of his throwing up and the mess he was making and all that. But he said, I'm, I'm doing better now. And I'm thinking, boy, I hope you don't throw up on national television here, you know. But um, no, nobody likes being sick. But when you do get sick, you want a diagnosis. <laughs> you want to know what is wrong with me. And then you want a prognosis. What does that mean if I don't do anything? And then when you find out what will happen if you don't do anything, you immediately say, is there a prescription that will heal me? And I'm one of these guys that I hardly ever get sick. I just, I, I don't know if I've been blessed or what, but... I just hardly ever get sick. But I do remember one time when I did get sick, and uh, I tried to ignore it for a while and just said, it'll go away, it'll go away, it'll go away. And finally my wife said, it's not going away, and you are in immense pain. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go to the doctor, and I'm going to find out what's wrong with me. And so he came, and... He examined me, and he said, uh, let's do a little blood work. And then he said, "And let's go to the hospital for a while. <laughs> and I, I, last time I was in the hospital was when I was nine years old and had my tonsils taken out, and I thought that was pretty cool because after you have your tonsils taken out, you get ice cream, all that you can eat while you're in the hospital. That, that's good news for a nine-year-old boy. And I was in the hospital for a week, and they were running me through all of these tests, and I was not the least bit worried. I just wanted to find out what's wrong with me. I feel terrible what's wrong with me. And they came in after a week and said, we've got good news and we've got bad news. And so I said, well, <clears throat> let me have the good news first so I can prepare for the bad news, all right? Cheer me up. And he said, well, you don't have leukemia, you don't have Hodgkin's disease, and you don't... And I then got nervous because I thought, if that's what they're testing me for, this is serious. And finally the doctor said, the bad news is we're still not sure what you have. But we've got a hunch because there was one other person back in the 1800s that had similar symptoms. And we think you have this. Yeah. And I said, what's the prognosis? What's going to happen? And the doc said, well, we're not sure. And I said, well, what happened to the other guy? And he said, oh, well, he died. 
But good news, that was in the 1800s, and they didn't know much of anything back then regarding this. And we not even sure what you have, but we think it's this, and we'll try this. I said, what is this? What is the prescription? Surely there's got to be something, because I can't go on with the pain that I'm having. And so they diagnosed me with eosinophilic gastroenteritis, which is a rare, rare blood disorder. And they put me on steroids, and for the next year and a half, they experimented with my body. They would put me on steroids for a while, and then they would take me off, and it was always, if it doesn't come back, you're healed. If it comes back, we'll strengthen the dosage. And so for a year and a half, I was on those things. If you know anything about steroids, they do a lot of weird things to your body. Uh, which none of them happened to me. I did the one rare thing that never happens on steroids, but when it got so bad, my wife and I went back and said, could this be a possibility? She said, oh, yeah, but nobody ever reacts that way to it. I'm just weird, let's face it, okay? Long story short, I didn't die. I know you, I know you were wondering, did he die or not? You know? So I want to let you know, I didn't die. They've never given me a clean bill of health. That last I checked with that doctor was back in 1979, and he said, I said, am I clear? And he said, we don't know, but if it ever comes back, we know what to do again. Okay. Not everybody gets sick like that, okay? But spiritually, we're all sick. Everybody in this room has a spiritual disease. And that spiritual disease is called sin, and it is wrecking lives all over the place. And I want us to just walk through the the diagnosis, the prognosis, and the prescription for dealing with the spiritual sin because we all have it. Take your Bibles and turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. And we're just going to stay in the book of Romans. We're going to walk through a few things. and I'm going to read a few verses to you. And by the way, I encourage you to read in between these verses later on because what I'm going to do is I'm going to hit the highlights, some mountain peaks of what Paul is writing to the church of Rome about. And if you read between these verses, you'll get it fleshed out in more detail about what it all means. But we will be able to understand what it means with the verses that we're going to look at. And the first thing we see is the diagnosis of sin, which is the spiritual disease that we all have. If you go chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made So they are without excuse. And Paul sets up this this diagnosis to say, listen, you've got a problem. And you know you've got a problem. Because you can look around and see that you're different. 
the creation of the world, God revealed who he was to us, and we're not that way. We've got a problem. And if you'll go on over to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we see what the real diagnosis is. Our problem is sin. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we've gone through the theological study of the word all before. You know that all means all. Very good. It means everything. Therefore, when it says all have sinned, it means that every one of us has this spiritual disease. There's nobody escaping it. It affects us all because of the fall. And if you take the Greek word sin, it was actually an archery term. And in the first century, when they were doing a lot of things with, with uh, uh, hunting and things like that, with, with bows and arrows and things like that, and it continues on even to this day. I just talked with a guy last week that was out deer hunting with his bow. You, you need to do some target practice before you go out. You need to get good at, at running that thing. And, and sin is a a word that is related to archery. And if you're doing target practice, where do you want to hit with your arrow? The bullseye. That is your target. And, and this first century term sin, what they would do is they would set it up and there would be a target downrange. The archer would be here. And they didn't have binoculars back in those days. So they would get a young boy, about eight or nine, to hide behind the target while the archer shot at the target. Now you understand why they put an eight or nine-year-old boy back there. And when the boy would hear the arrow hit, he would simply come around, he would look at the target, he would see where the arrow struck the target, and if it struck anywhere other than the bullseye, he would just look back up range to the archer and he would yell, Sin! And the archer knew he had missed the mark. Now, the boy didn't say, little sin, you almost hit it. He didn't say, medium-sized sin, you barely hit the outer ring. Didn't say that. He didn't say, huge sin, there was no arrow in the target at all. You totally missed the whole thing. It was just look at the target, look if there was an arrow or not an arrow. If it wasn't in the bullseye, sin. And that's what he says there. For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God created us in his image. And he wants us to be honoring him and worshiping him and living for him. And sin has interrupted that. And none of us have measured up to the mark. But I want to say something else about sin. It's very important to understand. Sin is not always just an act or an action, or even an omission of an action that we ought to be doing, sin is a power that when unleashed, controls. And that's what happens to us. When we mess up, when we first begin to live anything contrary to where the way God designed us to live, that sin begins to control us. And we find ourselves getting involved in that all the time. 
So that's the diagnosis. We've all got this sin problem, and we are accountable to God, according to Romans 1.18. There's no excuse. We are accountable to him for the sin that is in our life. So what's the prognosis? The prognosis, and we find that in Romans 5.8. We begin to look at it. Romans chapter 5.8. There's this transition verse to me that's very important because Christ is the great physician. And in Romans 5.8 it says, But God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ, the Son of God, knew we had a sin problem and he loved us so much that he came and he demonstrated his love by taking our place on the cross to deal with our sin problem because Romans 6, 23, first part of the verse says, because the wages of sin is death. The prognosis for sin left untreated is death. And I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about spiritual death. A separation between us and God. And the first time we sin, we make a willful choice to do something we shouldn't do or we don't do what we ought to do. That sin, we've missed the mark And we are separated from God. Our sin separates us. Now, what is a wage? Somebody tell me. It says the wages of sin is death. Tell me, in 21st century, what is a wage? What? Just one of you. What? It's a paycheck. Uh, Do they just hand out paycheck? Can I go down to Walmart this afternoon and say, hey, I want a paycheck? No. Now, if I work down there, I could. A wage is something that's earned. And the scripture says the wages of sin is death. This is what we've earned because we have been disobedient to the Father. So we've all got the disease. And it's going to end in death if we don't do anything about it. But praise God, there's a prescription. There is a cure. And it's not like the doctors told me, well, we'll try this, and if it doesn't work, we'll try something else, and if that doesn't work, we'll make it a little bit stronger. No, this one is very clear, very precise. There is nothing to evaluate it, good, bad, or indifferent. It is the one and only cure. And as you read on in verse 623, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The cure is free. Now, I had to go down to the, uh, the drugstore and purchase the prescription. And I had to pay for it. 
Remember back in 5.8? God demonstrated his love, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid for the cure at that point so that it can be a gift to us at no charge. It cost him his life, but we receive it free. Now, we know what a wage is. We just talked about that. What's a gift? What? It's a blessing? This is just the definition of a gift. What is a gift? Something you haven't earned. Yeah, it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. Uh, I, I was just with my, my granddaughter uh, on Friday, and we gave her her birthday card, and it had a check in it because there was something that she wanted. She hadn't earned a thing. Trust me, she had not earned a thing. But my wife and I, we love our granddaughter. And so we gave her a gift so she could go purchase what she wanted, and we did it that way because we wanted her to pick out exactly what she wanted. And that's what Christ is saying to us in, in, in his word. The wage, what we've earned, is, is death because we've sinned. But he has gifted us. We haven't earned it. We've not done anything to deserve it. But he has just given us the gift of eternal life. Sin separates us eternally. We're dead to God. The gift eternally unites us with God. It is a free gift. But the question is, how do you receive the gift? How do you grab a hold of this prescription that Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by him? How do you get it? Well, let me illustrate it before I uh, <clears throat> show it to you in God's Word. Some of you have seen this illustration from before. If you've seen this illustration, um, pray for those who haven't. Okay? I have a gift for you. Last of the big spenders, it's a dollar. And it's a free gift for anybody who wants it. Is there anybody that wants it? I see one hand. I see two hands, three hands. Hi, glad to meet you, sir. What? You want it? It's yours. GMAC, too simple. No. It is that simple. You have to receive it. You've got to go get it. And it's very simple on how. Stay in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The way we receive the gift is to confess and to believe. 
confess scripturally in the Greek language when this was written was to agree with God. That's what confession means. I agree with God. God says I'm a sinner, that I am held accountable for my sin, and if I don't do anything about it, I will spend eternity separated from him. I confess that. I agree. God, you're right. You created it all. You created me. And you initiated the prescription by sending your son to pay the price. But not only do we need to agree that Jesus is the cure, he is the prescription, but we've got to really believe, what's it say? And believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confession is made with the mouth, but belief is with the heart. And we're not talking about blood pumper again. We're talking the very essence of who you are. But there's a, a misunderstanding of what it means to believe. You know, believe intellectually is I just believe it. Let me illustrate it for you as well. I can take this chair and I can say, I believe this chair will hold me up. Do you believe that? Do you believe that chair is capable of holding me up? I hope you believe that because you're sitting in one just like it. Okay. But as long as I keep saying, I believe it. I believe, man, rock solid steady. I believe that. You believe that. I believe that. And I continue to walk around it just saying that. I really don't believe it. Because my actions will demonstrate what I really believe in. But when I say, I believe this chair will hold me up. And I get on it. Listen, it is either going to hold me up or I'm going to make an idiot out of myself. Real fast. And that's what he's talking about. It's not that you just confess and, oh yeah, I, I, I believe God raised him from the dead. You put your whole being into that. You say, I am committing everything I am to believe that Jesus is the only prescription. It's Jesus and nothing else. It's not my good works. It's not my church attendance. It's not being baptized. It's not doing good things for folks. No, it is Jesus. And Jesus only. And here's the good news. Look what it says. Here's what the prescription does. The cure is that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved for with a heart man believes and here's the result with the, for with one who, who, or with the heart one believes and is justified just as if he had never sinned. That's what justified means. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So when we confess and we really believe and we put our whole trust in Jesus Christ as the one and only cure, he saves us. And if you go down to verse 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be 
saved. I remember once I was sharing this with a, a young guy uh, who was in junior high school. And I love working with junior high guys. They are so honest that they, if it pops in their mind, they're going to say it. And I remember I was sharing this passage of Scripture with him. And, and I said, so do you have any questions? And he said, yeah. What are you hiding from me? I said, what do you mean, what am I hiding from you? He said, you've read verse 9 and 10, and then you jump to 13. What is it you don't want me to see in verse 11 and 12? I like a challenge. And I looked at him and said, I don't have the foggiest idea what's in verse 11 and 12. Immediately, a bunch of you look, but do you really know what it says in verse 11 and 12? I didn't. And I was a minister. And I didn't know. But look what it says. It says in verse 11, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And as soon as I read that, talking to that, that young man, I thought, wow. I've shared this with a lot of folks. And I don't know how many times I've had them say, well, I don't know if I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Well, why? Well, I'm not sure what my mom would say or what my dad would say. Or I'm not sure what my boyfriend or girlfriend would say. I'm not sure what my parents would say. I'm not sure what my husband or my wife would say. I don't know what my children might say if all of a sudden I come home and say, Hey, I got saved. And this scripture says there, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And the spirit was so clear, I just looked at that young man and I said, what it is saying is, if you accept the cure, no matter what anybody thinks, you won't ever be ashamed of it. You'll say, I'm glad I took the prescription of Jesus Christ and I am saved. And so we went then to verse 12. I had to figure out what, what, that, what I was hiding from him there. And it says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call. And once again, the Spirit spoke to me so clear. The difference between Jew and Greek is so different. And basically what that verse is saying is, I don't care whether you're Jew or Greek, American or Russian, short or tall, skinny or fat, male or female, take all the contrast you want. Everybody needs Jesus. And the reason is because there is no other cure for whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Good luck, Tad. It is that serious. Because you either confess it and believe it and are eternally changed or you reject it and will spend an eternity separated from God. I'll never forget the day when I was at camp and a woman... And I'm guessing her 40s 
came down during an invitation time that we were having for the students. She was a sponsor. She was a pastor's wife. And she said, I need to talk to TMAC. And I remember going to the decision room with, with her and lots of teenagers in there doing business with God. And she looked at me and she said, I am tired of playing the game. She said, I'm a pastor's wife. And the Spirit has been speaking to me for the last <clears throat> several years saying, you act like a Christian, but there is no relationship. And she said, I kept rejecting what the Spirit was saying to me because I didn't want to embarrass my husband. What would it look like if the pastor's wife walked down the aisle and said, I need to get saved? And she said, I don't care about him anymore and I don't care about what the church will think about me. I know I am lost. I have the disease of sin that's never been dealt with and I want to take the prescription right now and pray to receive Christ because I do believe he lived and died and was raised from the dead for my salvation. And I want to confess that. I believe that. And she prayed and received Christ. And I said, let me know how it happens when you get home. And she said, I will. And she said, this is the rest of the story. When I got home Friday night from camp, I told my husband what happened at camp. And he embraced me and said, praise God that we'll be in heaven together. And on Sunday morning, she walked down the aisle to make it public. Confession is more than just confession to God. It's confession to others. And the church broke out in applause with excitement because of her testimony. I'm not playing the game anymore. I want to be saved. So what are you going to do with the prescription? We've all got the disease. The diagnosis is the same for all of us. And there's only one prescription that will radically change us from the inside out. And that's to receive the gift of of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, for those that are in this room that know you and they know that they have that relationship with you because of the what Jesus Christ did for them and that they receive that gift of eternal life. Father, may they pray like crazy right now for those who are struggling like that pastor's wife. If you're here today and you're not sure, I urge you, don't walk away from You're sensing a pulling 
the very inner part of your being, I need to do something. I, I know I'm separated from God, and I know I need to receive the only cure, and that's Jesus Christ. I pray that today you will do that. That you will receive the good news, because just like that, you can move from death into life in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, may your spirit move. May you convict of sin, which is your task. And may you convict. May you draw. May you give courage to those who need to say, today's the day. I am going to accept Jesus Christ because I have the disease and He is the cure. And I want the prognosis of healing and eternal life with Him.